Well, respect and information is what you get from the Progressive Radio Network and the incredible work of Dr. Gary Knoll and his entire staff. I had a complete honor in the passing on to Dr. Knoll, uh, some a world Korean War hero, I mean a real Korean War hero, and Vietnam War hero and journalist, watched Gary Knoll's documentary, Killing Her Own, over the last couple of weeks, and he was just floored by the incredible work and knowledge and information and effort that Dr. Knoll put into it. So, ladies and gentlemen, if you've never gotten a copy of that, please go to uh, Gary Knoll's website and get a copy and watch it. It is one of the leading documentaries on everything that's happened to the veterans ever put together, if not probably the best. Between that and Beyond Treason, those are the two best there. Well, let's continue on with our conversations. We've had last two weeks had some conversations about the incredible problems with the computers and security on the computers. And then, lo and behold, we get another documentary that's opened up on Vietnam by Ken Burns. I've been watching it the last few days, and in preparation for that, going back to review stuff in my mind and looking at photos and things that I had from a long time ago. But then also we had 911 and all the memories that have bothered me on that. I'm not even sure where to begin. I mean, Ray, you and I were in Vietnam when we were young puppies. You went through a horrific ordeal, completely different from what I did, because I was flying, coming back to a hot shower and a somewhat secure hooch and everything, although, as you've seen in the photographs, we didn't have security all the time. What memories can we bring back or can we get, or what can we hope can happen from another documentary? Do you have any idea? Uh, Doug, I, I suppose the thing that probably was left out in my memory was, uh, you know, I've always thought that we went there to serve our country. And, uh, you know, it, it was the old adage of um, <clears throat> it is not mine to question why, it's mine but to do or die. And I, I think that was a common thought of uh, veterans or, you know, those gone. And we never questioned our government. We never understood maybe the policies behind everything. We thought we were helping the South Vietnamese to be a free people and to fight communism, and therefore we justified everything. Um, coming out of that uh, situation many years later, we find out that there's been a pattern of um, American troops going into countries and trying to establish, or at least trying to, you know, supposedly, a, um, a stable government. And there was a lot of politics behind those things. And um, so today we look back and we think, you know, they're one of the favorite words we used was wasted. Uh, that guy got wasted or my friend was wasted or we're all going to get wasted, you know. And we're not talking about getting drunk. We're talking about dying. And um, that seemed to be a pretty good term nowadays you look back at it because it, it turns out to be more of collateral damage maybe to those veterans, that the more you learn, Doug, uh, and through, through Warrior Connection, uh, we learn a lot of things, and we look back and we think, what is the point of all what we're doing? We're going into countries, and we're trying to not only help them, but we're trying to do other things. And we'll talk about that today, maybe. But I think that's the, uh, the memories. You know, all of my memories, um, it was kind of limited because of the situation I was in. And I did, you know, I, I didn't suffer any more than anybody else or anything. But, um, you know, we lived in the jungles, and, and that, your 
your lifestyle is very limited and your knowledge of things are very limited and you can't get too complicated with things uh, because it would take you away from uh, the, the danger at hand. But now we feel like, um, you know, maybe it wasn't worth all the 58,000 plus lives that were lost and it brings a little grief to put that. <laughs> You know, we look at the numbers that were lost, and all of us lost friends. And I know I just found out when I was at the VA again trying to get care for myself, which still remains a, a, totally elusive. And I just talked to my own my own personal nurse just an hour ago. The memories that each of us have, whether it's Vietnam or Korea or Desert Storm or Iraqi Freedom, we can have two of us at exactly the same time at the same location undergoing the same event, and the perception and memories we have of that will completely be different. And and that's all put together so much by everything you're upbringing and everything else, but I think the basic problem we run into and why so many are suffering today and the suicide rates are horrific and the giving up all hope is horrific is that fallacy that we all bought off on to try and justify it in our conscious mind can never be justified in the unconscious mind. And hence you get the moral injury. Uh, when the VA just here in the most recent uh, Agent Orange letter totally confirmed Agent Orange exposure for all of us that were in the Air Force or in the Army that were in Thailand, Laos, and Cambodia now without any hesitation in, you know, in recognition, all these years later it puts it into a horrific condition. I, I mean, how how do we deal with it? And then with 911, I lost so many friends in the police and fire department when my other buddies blew the building up, lock, stock, and barrel. I mean, people don't want to discuss it, but when you get into the reality of it, that's what's happened. And the, the Pentagon was not a was definitely not an airplane that took it out, but a missile. That's in the Pentagon Building Performance Report itself. When you look at it. Bob, how do we deal with all of these fallacies and these things in our memories that we want to sustain, and yet the reality, when we hit it face on, can't be justified or sustained? I mean, obviously we've got to reach for prayer in God, but beyond that, Bob, how do we do this? It is not an easy answer to provide that, Doug, because it does vary from person to person, as you've described both you and Ray having the same experience in the same environment, perhaps, but having different memories and different ways of dealing with those memories. And that's going to vary, again, from person to person, from their background, as you suggest, also their gender, also the, um, uh, the personality and or temperament that a person may have also going in. It really does vary. But dealing with memories... Um, is usually a long journey when someone is courageous enough to want to deal with that. And one of the things about the memories, especially those that seem to be unjustified, it brings forth a lot of anger. And oftentimes anger has no place to go, and so therefore if it has no place to go, it remains internal, and that's where depression takes place. I saw a Vietnam-era full-blown American hero at the VA yesterday walking down the hallway and he's absolutely his body is riddled with the effects of Agent Orange I mean physically and visually and everything else 
And the sense that I got, because I saw him, and I said, hey, hi, you know, hey, we still need help. And he's a senior honcho in the VFW for, in Illinois. And it was almost as if, don't bother me. Mm-hmm. You know, I've got my own problems, and he definitely does. Absolutely does. But then it was a sense, well, I'm dealing with my own stuff, and don't bring the other problems into me. Uh, last week at the time of this radio show when Patricia was so nice to do it, I found out they had a town hall meeting for the uh, VA down at the local VFW, and I boogied on down there. I had never heard so many lies issued by one person or a group of people at any time at any point. And then when I got up to say something with all the documents as I have, as you guys are seeing, I you know I work with the real stuff. I had a, he was probably early Vietnam, maybe late Korean War veteran. He said, shut up and sit down. It was as if, don't bring this stuff up. Don't stir the pot. Don't call it as it is because we're having enough trouble dealing with it. And then the thing that always struck me is, well, then that's why everybody's up in the front of this place drinking their heart away or what's in the newspaper today and the Army Times that just came, there's individuals that are literally trying to push, I mean push and advocate and justify the use of marijuana and all these other drugs for PTSD treatment. How do you feel about that, uh, Doc? Uh, you're a psychologist, so <laughs> give us your take Mar- on the uh, marijuana. marijuana. Well, yeah. any drug whatsoever, whether it be legitimately prescribed drugs that doctors and psychiatrists may may render or um, street drugs or any, any drug whatsoever may have an effect that can be semi-beneficial, but every single one of them is going to have after effects or side effects, even the legitimate across-the-counter drugstore drugs. Every single one has side effects. So with marijuana, for example, while it does have a soothing factor to it and how it uh, affects the secretion of the feel-good chemicals that are in our brain, like the endorphins and the dopamines and so on, it does have that soothing effect. But what we don't always know or don't always admit is a long exposure to something like marijuana will deaden the ability to have those endorphins secreted over time. So therefore, the the increased need for that same drug to have the same effect is going to take place. And that happens with alcohol, that happens with marijuana, that even happens with prescription drugs like uh, uh, Xanax or, or Zoloft. When the prescription is designed to be a help and a benefit, but it doesn't stay that way if it's long-term. The thing that struck me so strange on this, especially with marijuana and these other ones, is the smoking, nicotine, whatever, we're already having severe lung problems, we're already having severe neurological problems, and we're having severe nutritional problems. So if you're smoking or drinking, you might find some momentary temporary relief, but it's literally interfering with the flow of oxygen to the cell, removal of the CO2 from the cell, and affecting nutrition to the cell. 
Because if you're drinking, you're not eating properly, or if you're smoking, you're not eating properly. I just can't get why people go to this thing or anything else. I mean, it's going back to how do I deal with the memory of the here and now? Well, that's what you you touched on by saying it's a temporary relief. And when someone who pursues any of these alternatives to find relief for their memories and their pain, the temporary feeling of relief is so powerful that they want it not to be temporary, but they want it to be increasingly permanent. So in order for that to happen, an increase of the use of any of these drugs is what's going to be required or the, to, to use them more often. And what occurs with alcohol in particular, it, alcohol is a poison. It can poison your body. It can break down your internal organs. Stomach cancer is directly related to the poisoning of alcohol. Uh, cirrhosis of the liter, uh, liver has been definitely uh, linked to overuse of alcohol for decades now. And there's many, many others. And marijuana has that same effect. Marijuana, over time, can not just deaden our brain cells, but it causes us to be so lethargic that apathy almost kicks in. It gets to be frightening. I know people recently um, who um, their body was shutting down and the doctors gave up on them. One one, uh, person that I know, they opened him up and was going to, um, they thought he might have cancer, and he had so much cancer they just closed him back up again, and then they just made him comfortable. A lot of times a doctor, when they can't do anything about it, they will just make you comfortable and try to sedate you and try to make you just mellow out and just, enjoy the rest of time you have and it almost seems as though that that is a prescription for a lot of veterans because it it seems as though people are wringing their hands and they don't know how to fix this thing and therefore they're just coming up with ways including marijuana which is a gateway drug Um, anytime you're dealing with marijuana it's an illegal drug you're dealing with people who deal with illegal substances and you're getting involved in a world most of the time, the VA is not going to give you enough to satisfy you for one month, and so you'll run out of it somewhere along the way because you're not going to do the way they prescribe it. You're going to do it the way you want it, and uh, you'll enjoy it. It's like taking a trip without leaving the farm kind of thing. You're just enjoying it. And when you do get pre- depressed, even though you're on that drug, you'll begin to cry and to weep and to show all those emotions because you become more vulnerable. But then you, when you need more, you'll have to go to the streets to get it. And that's where a lot of veterans end up in jail because mm-hmm. it's not legal to buy illegal drugs off of that street. Uh, one of the things that, you know, I thought about that sedation of where they try to make them more comfortable, but they're really under the influence of those drugs. And if you get caught driving, you're going to have to go to jail. Or if you, if you happen to run mm-hmm. over somebody or kill somebody, you can't say, well, the VA put me on, on marijuana because it's not going to fly. I know some of the drugs they had put me on, and some of them were psychotropic, and they, had on the, they would tell you up front, if you get caught uh, by the law and you've got this in your system, well, we can't do anything for you. You're not supposed to be driving. So <clears throat> there's a lot of restrictions people don't understand with some of these drugs, and marijuana is not a good, I don't think it's a good avenue to put these guys on. Well, I think the other and, problem, too, is when you start using marijuana or the other drugs or alcohol, and, Ray, you've seen this a lot in 
Pastor Shaw, I think you've seen it too many times, and I've seen it way more than yes. I want to as an EMT, is that they start getting into behavioral problems where child and spouse abuse, child or spouse abuse becomes prevalent, or because they haven't got the bucks and they need that next fix, they go out and commit a crime. Ray, you've dealt with that. I think you've been going into the prisons, working with the veteran population in the yep. prisons. And it just seems like it's a whole mess that Kareen's totally out of control. And yet when we ask for definitive, effective, optimal help, that remains elusive. You know, there's a there's a kind of a history of how these types of treatments can be developed. For example, in World War II, the only mental health professionals that existed, at least for the most part, were psychiatrists. And there was a stigma for most people to go to see a psychiatrist or what they would call a shrink. Very few people would do so. They would, you would almost have to be absolutely mentally ill, like schizophrenia or uh, paranoia or situations like that. And that's what usually was equated with going to a psychiatrist during the World War II and, and Korean War, and even to some degree the early stages of the war you guys fought. Because I can remember both my dad, who was in Iwo Jima and Okinawa as a Marine, God Almighty. And, my uncle, Did he and my uncle Tom. What's that? I said, was your dad affected, wounded or at all? He, you know, that's the funny thing. I, I No, he was not. I, I have a copy of his military records that I only obtained about a year and a half ago because he never told us anything about what went on. And when I read those military records, I was in tears because he never indicated anything. And it explained to me a bit more of his alcoholism that he fought for over 20 years. And he that was that was his drug of choice. There was no help at all that he thought was available. So... He drank himself to sleep one night and never woke up. But he was in Iwo Jima, and he was in Okinawa, and he was in uh, Midway. Those are three of the worst military records. And he came out unscathed, you know, thank God, but at least physically in in terms of physical woundedness. But those those brutal battles were absolutely so brutal that you could not walk away unscathed, and he did not. My Uncle Tom was in the Battle of the Bulge. He was in the European theater. He also developed alcoholism and drank himself to death by virtue of stomach cancer. So in my own family, I've seen the results of that. Then you go on to the 50s and the 60s, and and more than just psychiatrists were developing into a profession that provided some counseling and mental health. And today, there is a lot of different avenues and and, uh, resources for an individual to seek out for mental health issues. Now, also, the clergy were... Uh, even now, the clergy is still about 55 to 60 percent of people of those who seek uh, counseling is, is, will go to a clergy person. Um, but there's a lot more professionals that would deal with that. The, the key, though, is how courageous does someone want to deal with their memories? Because I have always said, uh, Doug and Ray, that we can never bury emotions dead; we bury them alive. And they will stay alive, even if we try to medicate them through drugs, alcohol, marijuana, pornography, whatever the case may be. All we're doing is medicating something that is still stirring up within us until we deal with it in a proper manner. Right. It never goes away. No. Doc, before um, 
I, I hope I didn't cut you off because I might have missed some no, misstep there. But um, for the first 10 years when I came back from Vietnam, you're talking about your dad and your uncle and different ones. Um, I don't think I don't think I've not I've had one day in the last 48 years that I didn't 47 years that I didn't think of Vietnam and my buddies. I've talked to my other buddies. I talked to some the other day, and uh, they said the same exact thing. They said I think about you every day in my life. And of course. Um, for those first 10 years, I was drinking heavy. I was doing some mm-hmm. marijuana and drugs and stuff. And but I drank really heavy. And I didn't talk about Vietnam. I didn't talk about much of anything. I just kind of like sucked it up and and tried to work. And I worked two and three jobs at a time. And, um, you know, just trying to make a good life for my family. But I was dying on the inside. And that, that, your your father and and uncle and different ones, it's the same exact pattern every time. And um, until I became a Christian, and when I got off of drugs and alcohol and everything else, Later on, maybe 20 years later, I began to come alive. God began to use those bad emotions and bad memories for something good, and I began to talk about it. And a lot of people thought, I've never known this about you. And um, and so yeah. it was Christ that brought that out of me. It wasn't the alcohol and drugs, because when I came back home, nobody really wanted to hear about it. And they would tell you so. Well, uh, the the Vietnam era, you're right. They still don't want to hear about it. That's what happened to me the other day. I mean, when my team, as you know, started getting sick and dying, and you guys have seen the results of it, and it just it's just horrific all the way around. And then, and this is why, Bob, it's so important, Pastor Shaw, from your perspective and everything else, what we're learning, what we're picking up on this, I don't sense that there's any mental illness or mental deficiency or anything that's happening. What I sense from more and more of my own experience and what's happening to me is we're dealing with an ethical and moral crisis beyond imagination and control. Mm-hmm. And when you go into, and when I went into some of the I, I so-called psychologists at the VA, their treatment was, well, let's get your memory realigned so that you accept and believe that what was wrong is justified. And then, well, we'll give you these drugs to numb your numb you on down. And I've seen what's happened to people over the years. I mean, it's horrific. Does the mental health practitioner in the VA, does he have the necessary or much in the way or consider the ethical and moral, the religious, the solid core foundation of what is really happening and try to develop a treatment protocol based on that or is it are we are we there, still lost there is a that's a good question Doug and I think there's too many and re, there's too many environments and arenas that exist for mental health professionals whether it be in the VA whether it be on post uh, or on base uh, whether it be in a licensed secular agency of some kind that prevents any professional to go into the areas of moral and religious background because they feel like by doing so it it violates a person's rights. But I have found because I am a licensed professional as well as a, a, you know, I spent time as in a pastorate role that if I ask for permission and I frame it in such a way to say, you know, there's probably some answers that are beyond what, what meets the eye. Are you willing to allow us to go there? 
And why, with permission, I find myself able to allow for the goodness of God, the healing power of God, to take place in a person's life. Because even if a person is trained, highly trained, and I would consider myself to be among them, if you're limited to the tools that you can use, then you're going to be limited in the effect you're going to have on your clients. If you're limited to drugs or alcohol, I don't see how you can do it. Or if you're limited to rearranging the brain to where the brain that was brought up to believe this is wrong, then for social sure. acceptance in the situation we're put in. I mean, I've got no qualm at all of the people I bombed and blew up at all. I'll do it tomorrow morning again without any hesitation. Ray, you said the same thing. You'd shoot them in the heartbeat. So yeah. that's one. that thing is separate from where we find the justification to go into today. And then the thing I, I, I just can't even be on me that struck me in the last 24 hours is the president said, well, if North Korea doesn't want to give up this stuff, we can just obliterate them. And then I'm coming back and say my life was turned around and turned topsy-turvy because the U.S. used illegal uranium weapons, radioactive dirty bombs. I was tasked to clean up. I can't get medical care for my team myself right now still. And I can't get them to clean up the mess that is required and directed by Army regulation. And yet we're blaming another nation and we're going to obliterate another nation for doing what we have done? Yeah, you, as you guys know, there's the cliche that says all is fair in love and war. And unfortunately, despite the regulations that exist in our nation and in our military, and there's probably regulations in, in foreign countries, militaries as well, maybe less, maybe more, who knows. The whatever goes on in war, though, is is not going to be by the book oftentimes. And unfortunately, because of that, uh, when you push the envelope, when you go beyond the regulations, when you go beyond the moral conditions of 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 how we're wired just to take out another one's life, uh, that haunts you after a while. And that's what you're describing. Well, see, Doc, when I when I do the uh, uh, programs at Camp Lejeune. When I do the uh, moral injury part of it, that is part of it that I have to become spiritual, and they understand that, and I tell them up ahead, like you said, I, yeah. I give them up front, and I tell them it's going to be a little bit spiritual because that's what created the problem. Because we yeah. were grown up in America, we lived here, uh, many of us, it's hard to get away from the Ten Commandments somewhere in life. Somebody's going to remind you of it, uh, and there's churches everywhere, and, and I talk about the conscience of man that identifies mm -hmm. with the Ten Commandments, and when you violate your uh, conscience or those known laws that you know, you come out with a guilty conscience. And that yeah. is what, can, to me, a lot of that has to do with moral injury, and that's part of the program mm -hmm. that I do. Um, and it's how to get your conscience cleaned back up again. And God is the ultimate way. There are several things you can do, and, and it has to do with forgiveness and you have to let some things go, and you have to begin to move forward. So there's a whole program on that. But the ultimate forgiveness comes from God. And when I was in combat, and it's like I've said before many times, shooting my enemy was justified. That's called justifiable homicide. He was trying to kill me. When God said, thou shalt not kill, he also made provisions for wartime and justifiable killing. And if someone's trying to kill your wife and you shoot the guy, you, 
That's, that's called mm-hmm. justifiable. You probably won't even feel bad about what you did because you stopped somebody from, from destroying somebody else. But when I went back over to him and I shot him three or four times to make sure he was dead, that was not justifiable. That's called desecration of a human body. And when I did that, even for whatever reason I did it, I was young, I was dumb, I did not want to fight the guy again, I didn't uh, want him to come back and get me, those type of things. But when I did that, I violated my conscience, and I violated those known laws that I grew up around. And yeah. so I go around life with that guilty conscience. That's the part the VA doesn't touch, because it's like you just said, they don't want, they cannot afford to get into the spirituality of man. But that is the problem. And it when is. you come back, home, it is. A lot of these veterans talk, a, went up to your classes. I've had them sit there and cry and tell me nobody's ever told me this before, because they got help, and that's a good part of it. Ray, you just lost. I mean, this three weeks ago. Today, where you found out that a young Marine that you were working with had taken taken his life, maybe by accident or whatever, three weeks ago last night, Tuesday night. Right. And then, you see, you got all this stuff happening, but then the same thing. And this friend of mine, the Korean, he's been on the show before, CC, Korean War hero, you know, survived hand-to-hand combat, a knife fight with the North Korean, and then went to Vietnam and everything. And... He just relayed all this stuff, and, and it brought back to the same thing that it didn't matter whether we're the Korea or Vietnam or whatever it is at the current time. All of us are struggling with exactly the same moral and ethical issues because of our upbringing, but yet the hoo-ha factor to belong and to believe and to trust and to be accepted, you've got to go along with it. I can't do well, that. Do. Well, you know, Doug, we were all young, and that's who they want to go in the military anyway. We came from everywhere in the country. We joined the military. We we came from all these different families and different races and different ethnic groups. But when we joined the military, we had to leave all that behind, and they began to create another human being. And, I, I, you know, they, I was no longer an individual. They wanted to be part of a unit. And they really pushed that cohesion, and they pushed push that um, camaraderie to the point is this becomes your new family. And when they send you to war, and you're immature, but you'll follow orders, and you go to war, and you've never fought anybody in your life like this. And then all of a sudden you're fighting people, you know, taking lives of people. But, you know, it, it's totally different from anything you've ever done. And, and if you look on the website of Vietnam Memorial, you'll find out a lot of 18-year-old boys got killed because when you're young, you're very brave and you do things. And, and that camaraderie, uh, you will actually give your life for another military person where you might not even do it back home. Um, it's just something that takes place. And it's, it's really a travesty that you have to use that that class of people, I know most of us went from 17 to 20-year-old, most of us, uh, that were called the trigger men anyway. And I'm sure in the Air Force, it was probably you had the same kind of thing with the young ones because they're very teachable. And they have a lot of guts, and they think they're going to live forever. And uh, you come back home, I think we joined the military so we can get ahead of life. You know, we're going to get a real good start. Maybe a career in the military, maybe learn a trade, whatever it was. 
but that's not the case. You came back home wounded. And uh, I had a woman the other day, I was talking to her, and she, I mean, she did not like the military very much. But she said, I don't have any pity for these guys coming back messed up. They knew what they were doing. They knew what the cause was. Didn't they expect to get shot at? And it made me kind of upset, too. So we had a conversation about it. But um, I don't know. I don't think we knew what we were getting into, Doug. Well, I think what you guys are experiencing is something that is um, overlooked at times. Now, when we were created back in the very beginning, we were created to live forever, and our spirits will still do so. But when, but when sin came into the picture, the capacity we had for good also turned into the capacity we have for evil because of the fall and because of the brokenness of the human condition. So when you go through basic training and you are pumped up and you become a warrior and you develop this warrior ethos and uh, you have your comrades back and you know that you are among a team that if working together you can do just about anything, then you get into the real fight, the real battles, whether it be in World War II and the Nazis and the Japanese, whether it be in the the Korean War and, and the Vietnam War and what we're facing now in OIF and OEF. The what is usually overwhelming to someone who's been trained so highly as a warrior is the the capacity for evil overwhelms our capacity to understand what we just witnessed. And that's what we often see. The capacity for evil is so so prevalent, whether it be walking in on a concentration camp to liberate those individuals. It took those soldiers by surprise, even if they survived the battle itself, they were traumatized by just witnessing the people of the concentration camps. Well, I had that personally happen to me because when Harold Tritch showed me and my brother and his daughter and his son, we were all the same age. We were all born after the war. Mm -hmm. Pictures that he took going into Auschwitz or whatever it is, the horrible one, to liberate. Yeah, uh, Auschwitz. Mm -hmm. I mean, I could never... To this day, I can I can never shake those photographs away. Sure. And then, and then the same thing that happened when I got tasked to clean up the friendly fire from depleted uranium. And you guys have seen the photograph of the burnt crispy from the Bradley fighting vehicle. And then knowing what's happened, and then we can't get the care. That frustration just boils over, and it, it never ends. I mean, the brothers we gained, and I mean brothers that we gained in the military... Brothers, sisters, mm-hmm. and by either male or female, there are brothers in a sense. Deeper than anything, even by blood's going to ever imagine. Yeah, but no, I, I can remember that. My dad was the youngest of four brothers, and all four and all four of those guys, my dad and hit my uncles, were in World War II and all saw action. And I remember, uh, even with that in mind, my dad also had very, very strong Marine ties, Marine buddies that he went to war with that became what my brother and I would call unrelated uncles and aunts, you know, the women that they married. And we would visit with them as if they were family. My dad, when those gentlemen passed away, grieved more than when his brothers passed away because they were comrades. They were, there was something more that tied them to life. Ray, don't you have one of your members of your platoon right now in serious health effects or has he died or what's the status on him? Yeah, actually, it's my uh, platoon commander. Uh, in my book, The Never-Ending War, um, The Unseen Scars of Post-Traumatic Stress, 
Bill was uh, Bill Haskell was our, our platoon commander, and Bill was about 23 years old, I think, like that. But um, he did some amazing. He was a, he was a good leader. Uh, he statistician or whatever you want to call him, but under fire, the man did some things that was amazing and kept a lot of us alive. But uh, I found out the other day he called me. Been a lot of years, and uh, Bill's in his seventies now, young, well, early seventies, I guess. And he told me um, he had six months to live. And then uh, two weeks later, I called back, and his son answered and said Bill was in hospice, and uh, they gave him a matter of days. And so I haven't heard anything. Uh, Colonel Oliver North was one of our, he was one of our other uh, platoon commanders, and he called me recently, and we talked for about an hour and a half and talked about Bill. And uh, he'd been to see Bill about five times up at Walter Reed, and uh, so he was kind of relaying messages back and forth. So, yeah, it, you know, the thing about it is uh, your family, you can't get away from them. And when you have these reunions, they're wonderful, Doug, but it, you reestablish that family thing. And then when they die, it's almost like losing them, uh, one of your buddies. Well, you know, the, uh, because they'll always be your buddies. You know, as as a senior officer, you know, going through as the senior guy of our team, and I want to play this again for everybody to to listen to this because one of my sergeants worked for me, and I assigned him to do the work and everything else. I mean, I sent him Sunday, there. This is what he's recent. Time and day not set. Hello, you handsome old dude. Uh, he's playing games with me again. Just thought I'd tell you. Uh, <coughs> prescriptions from my civilian doctor. They're not uh, processing in a timely manner. It's the tetracycline. It took uh, over a week for me to get. I've got a derivative of Cipro, and uh, the doctor sent it on Wednesday. And uh, they don't have a record of it today. Also, I checked my medical history, and all my good stuff is getting off, uh, taken off or being expired from my uh, <coughs> drugs. I have the pens, nitrostat, and a lot of other stuff. Uh, I think they're trying to kill me off with no drugs. Well, talk to you later. Be good. Work hard. Yeah. That's my best friend. I mean, I sent him to war, and it's in a mess. End of messages. And how how do we deal with the the frustration? Because when the VA and I called the VA on his behalf, everything, and they said, "Well, the guy's going to call," and I'm going, "You don't understand the military. The sergeant calls his officer. The officer takes care of his sergeant." Doug, mm-hmm. so there's a scripture that says. Um, he will keep you in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on him because you trust in him. And I, I guess if it wasn't for the Lord himself, I, I'm telling you, Doug, I would probably be in a grave or a nursing home or somewhere, maybe pushing a shopping cart <laughs> uh, on the streets or something. But um, God, he, when, when I found Christ, or He maybe he found me, he forgave me of my sins and he set me free. And I'm telling you, uh, I still grieve about these things, but I don't. I remember them, but the burden's not there anymore, and I thank God for that, because that's the only hope we have. 
is through God. Um, he can take a lot of that sorrow away from you. Because nobody's going to help you, Doug. I mean, nobody helps anybody hardly anymore. They can't afford it. They don't want to be burdened by it. They got enough problems. They don't need you anymore. And we keep hitting these walls. And you'd be banging your head on walls before it's over with. And I know you have a problem with it, and I do too. And maybe Dr. Shaw. So uh, what is the solution for the average veteran that can't get anything done? God. Go to God. Pray. Seek God. Ask him to forgive you of your sins. And I'm telling you, he'll clean your life up. And that will begin to help you a little bit. Uh, get you off all this mess you're on. And uh, that's my only solution. I don't know what else to do. Doc, do you know, what usually, what usually it makes things worse for a veteran is not only their, their medical and their physical ailments, but the things that you guys are describing, which is the moral injury, the, the guilt, the, the overwhelming sense that what they did during the time of war was beyond their ability to forgive themselves. But, uh, as Ray's touching on it, God, it's not beyond his ability to forgive that which you have done. So it's like confessing. So part of what takes place in in a counseling session, at least in my perspective, because I, I approach it with a Christian atmosphere. Just last month, as a matter of fact, I I spent some time, I had the honor of working with a, an OIF uh, veteran who spent eight years in the military and was deployed three times. And two of those three deployments, he went through horrific issues. And he never spoke about it ever to anyone until about a month ago. And by speaking about it, by bringing it out into the light, yes, he was upset. Yes, he was emoting and crying and, and, and basically slobbering over himself. That took him by surprise. But when he did so, the, he expressed the idea that, you know, there's a sense of relief even in the midst of this, uh, of this pain. So it's a matter of confessing it, bringing it out into the light. You know, it, it says in um, Proverbs eighteen fourteen, the spirit of a man can endure his sickness. That's the physical part. But a broken spirit, who can bear? So when you couple a veteran's issues of both physical illness and sickness with the moral injury, with the guilt that's been tearing them apart, if one of those things at least, can be addressed because it's the it's the it's the greater thing that probably brings us all down is our broken spirit if one of those things can be addressed we are still benefiting and helping that individual get to a better place well didn't frankel and his work having lived through himself living through the nazi holocaust and living through a camp's crew and discuss that the fact the hope and the hope and the dreams are what sustain you and bring you back, and even under the worst, worst of the worst, you can still survive if yeah, you have that did, hope or the dream. He developed his own theories based on that. Not only he lost his wife, his father, his mother, and a sister in the concentration camps that he was in. He survived, but he lost tremendous family members and obviously some friends too. But he developed um, uh, a theory that says, okay, there's got to be still meaning in all of this. And the meaning that he developed out of it was a spirituality aspect. Well, he was Jewish, of course, but the spirituality aspect was still strong in his life and allowed him to realize that there's hope beyond what we see. There's hope beyond what we live. There's got to be something more than just what meets the eye, and he was able to tap into that to a degree. Yeah. 
What do we do today when, as a response and everything, and I've heard over and over again, yay raw team for the president is saying, well, if we have to, we'll blow North Korea off the face of the earth. How do you deal with it? I'm having a hard time dealing with it because one thing they brought out in the Vietnam, Ken Burns thing the other night, they're saying, well, you know, we had a cessation of bombing. We didn't bomb at Christmas, and we didn't bomb up north during this time. And, well, I can guarantee you we did because I did, and I was there, and, you know, we got the T-shirt and everything else. (laughs) How do we deal with the, the moral and ethical issue of the lies, but then how do we deal with more of the hoo ha factor? Well, let's go do it. Man, this is exciting. Let's do it. Let's get it done without any ethical or moral justification. Well, Doug, the enemy is saying the same thing. You know that. We're over here saying, let's go kick butt and let's go get them and all this stuff. The enemy is saying the same thing to their armies. And we're going to, you know, it never ends up like like you hoped it would. I used to dream, uh, I haven't had one in quite a while, but um, I would always dream that I was in the military, although I was in my, I was still the same age, uh, like 68, 70, whatever, and 68 now, but uh, I feel like 70 sometimes. Um, But I was dreaming I was that age, and I was there with those young Marines, and they were getting ready to get on the plane or the ship or whatever, and they were all like, you are, and let's go kill them, and let's, and I was weeping, and I was thinking, you don't know, man. You don't know. You don't understand. Because the enemy's going to be ready when you get there. And um, we don't understand that. It's, it's pretty good rhetoric when you can pump people up and say, all right, we're ready for you. But you know, you look on television at North Korea, and they're ready too. And then you have other nations around them, China, Russia, these other nations, that really don't want us over there planting flags and beating people up on their continent. And so um, we've got to be careful. Well, the other thing, too, and this goes in I'm as, a, as a scientist in technology, we've gone to all the solid-state technology and all these fancy gizmos, okay? And now they're actually, I heard today, they're actually going to allow our submarines to be run by Xbox controllers. Hmm. That technology is going to fail at one time because when it comes down to a simple push and shove, and, Ray, you live through this thing, all you need is a boonie cap, a pair of pants, a pair of boots, and a rifle, and, a, and a, maybe a knife to survive, and some water. But now we've got all this technology, and if the North Koreans, all they have to do is pop a 5 or 10K nuke off of the Sea of Japan, and the EMP and all this stuff, and all the other electronic stuff is going to disappear, and now we have no communication, we have no transportation, the aircraft ain't going to fly. I mean, one of the reasons I'm here today is because we had incredible stuff on the B-52 called EWO, Electronic Warfare, and the MiG-21 uh, was flown by radar control after it locked in to come out and kill. And at that time, all they did is flip a switch, and that next thing you knew, that aircraft was totally uncontrollable, and we lived. But where do we go when all of a sudden with the technology, and they talk about just the simplest thing, taking out the entire power grid? I mean, the storms are bad enough taking out. God's sending us a message, I think. If we don't listen, we've we got a real problem. But what do we well, do we when technology it. is going to fail us because we went to the technology not realizing it ain't there and it ain't going to make it? Well, they talked a lot, of, a lot of the technology problems have come out of North Korea. They have been attacking our fiber. Uh, but these other nations, I mean, they are, they're souped up on their... Um, 
technology too. Russia has even achieved certain things that we haven't achieved yet. So it's a big race in technology, and it's changing every day. So you can't say one nation is going to get in there and do this and do that and do the other. Be careful how you say that, because these other nations are watching you, and we don't have any secrets, Harley. I mean, I, I know we still do some, but we put everything on television, and we tell everything just about. I know Donald Trump has talked about uh, not doing that so much, but we tell the whole world what we're going to do, and that puts them on notice. And so we got to be careful with this thing. We got to use some diplomacy a little bit. And uh, that seems not to be the question nowadays, anyway. Well, the other thing too is a focus on warfare. If you go to war, you got to keep focus. I know with our dads, communication was virtually impossible. When you and I went to Vietnam, I remember I'd get mail, and it was weeks, if not months, old. When I went to Desert Storm, it was almost instantaneous mem. Um, information. And today these kids have been how many, four, five, six, seven, eight time deployments, you know, to war for a year at a time. They get instantaneous communication back home. Well, the furnace ain't working or I got a, a leak in the sink. Well, how can they focus on what they have to do to survive in war if all this stuff is coming into place, so all this communications, computers and phones and everything else is like, you know, what is that, the one uh, American sniper where he's in the middle of a firefight and his wife is coming out after she just had a pregnancy checkup? It, it does. Yeah, yes. and, it, it, you know, and you guys as warriors know that as a to be an effective soldier or Marine, you, you, can't, you can't have distractions. So what you're describing, Doug, is, a, is, is distractions. If you have the ability through technology to be, to be communicating with those at on the home front and things that are going on on the home front, like a leaky sink or, or uh, a behavioral issue with their child or something to that effect, the, the deployed military service member is going to be distracted by wishing that they could be home taking care of things. I mean, that's going to be natural for them to feel that way. Uh, or wishing they can, you know, send somebody else to be there in their stead, but they don't have the ability to do that. And it's going to distract them putting them at a bit of, of impairment for for their readiness. You know, too, we didn't, we've never had a, really, in our lifetime, uh, we've never had massive casualties uh, like a, a massive war and where you're losing thousands of men on each side. And I don't know how it would work out real well with a lot of our troops, these young boys that we're sending over there, if they lost a couple thousand soldiers or Marines or sailors or whatever in a day, and, they, and they're still fighting and they're going to send you in there, that's, that's a psychological nightmare for a person to, mm. you know, mm -hmm. to suck up and, and kind of get ready to go. So we never, this is new ground for us. And they're talking about sending in the troops. Well, I'm telling you, um, <laughs> we need to think about those things because if we break out into a war, it's going to be massive casualties on both sides. Well, I think in and, war, uh, I mean, in Korea, if they all they do is if we start a war or start anything at all, and then North Koreans, even while they're surviving, pull a lanyard. I mean, Seoul is gone, and Cape Camp Casey is gone. I mean, the 2nd Armored Division is basically going to be toast in minutes because it's, I mean, you're within conventional artillery range, so even if they have the most significant and technologically developed stuff and they get them on the way and they're about ready to pound on their butt, they pull that lanyard, <laughs> their history. And as you know, there ain't no way to duck around a uh, 105 or a 155 round coming in on you, is there, Ray? 
No, no, it's not. And the other thing is, too, wars in the past, that, you know, where you had massive casualties, we didn't have uh, moment-to-moment media. Uh, you would learn about it days later, weeks later, something like this. Um, that happened. But today, it's, it's spontaneous, and when you're taking casualties and you're sending troops in there and you're taking more casualties and everything, it, I tell you, it could destroy a lot of uh, mentality as far as a, a nation or you might have a riots, Vietnam, even more riots in Vietnam, um, just by knowing that this morning we lost 2,000, 5,000 men. You know, this nation may come apart and say, get them out of there. Um, so it's going to be different from anything we've ever faced before. Yeah, and it started in your era with the Vietnam War where there was more correspondence showing up and reporting, yeah. even if it was a day later that caused the nation to have a real bad taste in their mouth as to what was going on. And it's that much more today, obviously. And I think as you, as you touched on it, you know, because of the 24 seven pervasiveness of media uh, and they'll put their own spin on things, it's going to be a very difficult thing to justify no matter what we do. I'll put common sense back into it. How do we, I mean, Ray, you guys are thing in this radio program has gone in that direction. And I don't, I don't expect the answer to come, but it's, I'm putting it out there to think, how do we bring us back into God and to common sense and to treatment of all equally and properly? And The only way, I saw a man last night. I was with a man. Uh, I've been talking to him for a couple of days. He was helping me move, actually. Uh, his name is, well, they call him T, TB. No, I think so, TB. Um, he's 6'8". He's uh, about 300 pounds. He's a young man. He looks like Shaq. And um, he told me he was um, he wanted to be a Christian, but he said, I'm scared. I'm thinking, scared of what? I mean, you're a massive human being. His hands are twice as big as mine. And he said, I'm scared I can't live for Christ. Uh, I can't do it. He said, I want to be, I want to live a good life. But he said, I'm just scared I can't do it. And so we talked to him. And that man got on his knees last night, Doug, and I saw him. Asking God to come in or to, to forgive him of his sins and everything he's ever done, and that man came up brand new. That man came up into a brand new creature, and I believe he's walking in newness today. And that's what you have to do. You have to believe that God is, and then you have to believe He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. And you just mm-hmm. have to simply ask Him to forgive you of your sins, come into your heart through Jesus Christ, and I'm telling He'll change your life. He'll give you peace. And peace is something we don't have in this nation too much. But God will give you peace. He will keep you in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on him. And he's given me peace, Doug. I still, mm-hmm. I, I grieve over things that happen. I, I grieve over, um, you know, the, the military, what's going on with them. And, and with the veterans, you can't get things done anymore. But yeah, I still have peace about it because God has given me peace. One of the buzzwords among the military and the counseling of military is resilience, of course. And and resilience is simply the ability to bounce back. And what Ray's touching on is there's nothing within us that has that ability outside of Christ. And there are people who don't want to know God, and there are people who feel like this friend of Ray's who felt like he can't come to know God because of what he's done or how far he's fallen and God's love is is not going to reach him where he's at. 
So sometimes it's, uh, I can't come to God, or others it's outright rebellion, which is, no, I don't want any part of that uh, because of whatever reasons there may be. Both of those will keep, both of those approaches will keep an individual from, from obtaining the inner peace that is so hard to describe without living in it. Um, the Prince of Peace, as Jesus is called, passes all understanding. I mean, that's the best way to describe it. It's hard to describe. It's, how to, it's hard to understand. But it's, it gives us the ability to bounce back from pain, from disappointments, from outright evil that we've experienced. And without that, our resilience ability is really lacking. Well, as I said before, and I've told a story on Christmases in 19, um, 1970, we bombed on Christmas morning, and God came to all of us that night, and tranquility was, was there in the moment. And then a couple of weeks ago, I went to mm-hmm. an intertribal co- uh, powwow here for at the Grand Village of the Kickapoo here in east-central Illinois, and the peace and tranquility that was there was staggering. Yeah. So God bless, guys. Let's hope for peace and everything else, and maybe we'll get some care. I remain optimistic, but it's frightening when it doesn't happen. Thank you, guys. Thank you, Pastor Bob Shaw. Thank you, Ray. Thank you. Thank you.